Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. If you've never heard the term bucket list, it's a list of all the goals you want to achieve, dreams you want to fulfill, and the life experiences you wish to experience before you leave this earth. Most of us have seen that 2007 film with Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholas to get the gist. My guest today wants us, especially any women listening, to embrace a life list while we're still young enough rather than older. After losing her former life partner to cancer and seeing her kids move on as young adults, Kate Christie was faced with her own midlife realisation life is too short. So she authored The Life List, Master Every Moment and Live an Audacious Life, where she talks about what she knows as a time management person and lays bare how to create that concept of a life list, a list of everything she wants to do while she was still young enough to enjoy it. Written especially for women who know they deserve more, this step-by-step guide shows exactly how to create and implement your own life list of experiences and goals across your relationships, health and well-being, lifestyle, wealth, travel and more. Kate is also an inspirational global speaker and sought-after media commentator, and she helps her clients, which include household names like L'Oreal, KPMG, and Westpac, to find the time. Kate will help you take the next step in your relationship with time, designing and living your perfect life. And her previous books include Me First, The Guilt-Free Guide to Prioritizing You. And so I warmly welcome Kate to the politics of everything. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content, and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download, they just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Z. E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. Okay, young Kate, what did you want to be as a kid and did you do it? I don't imagine time management consultant was in that kind of careers guide that they often whip out. (laughs) Oh, come on. No, (laughs) look, I I remember in year 10 at school, we had to do a, a questionnaire and it then filtered through and they came back with, you know, 50 job recommendations of the type of job that you would be good at. And I'll never forget that my number one recommendation was prison warden. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Why? Because you were very militant. I had no idea, but it was, you know, it was terribly upsetting and I've never, ever gotten over it. But growing up, I was I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be you. You know, I, I wanted <laughs> to be out there writing the news and being on the wars in the war zones and 
bringing stories to people. So I was very, very keen to be a writer and a journalist. Wow, that's great. Well, you took a different path, clearly. But diving to our topic today, how do you view that balancing act of selfishness, which has a very negative connotation versus selflessness? And I guess the second part to my question is, what role do you think it plays in creating a life that you love, that you design for yourself, that you're in charge of sooner rather than later? Because I think a lot of us, like yourself, wait and then think it's now my time or some life event happens. We don't tend to take the reins very early in our life is my experience. I, I completely agree. And look, you know, there's there's so much there's so much politics around the concept of selfishness and so much so that I was, you know, the, the title for the book was originally going to talk about, you know, embracing, you know, the you know, fantastic ability to become purely selfish or, you know, something along those lines. And I had a number of very visceral responses from, you know, market groups and tester groups and my publisher said, look, we just don't think you should use the word selfish. You know, it's it's seen as being such a negative trait and it's used as a weapon, uh, particularly against women, you know, in terms of, you know, the choices that you may make as a woman or as a mother or as a career woman or a career woman who happens to be a mother, you know, this concept of being selfish, whereas selflessness is considered a virtue. You know, the definition of selflessness is quite literally one without a self. And so, you know, I'm very interested in this whole politics of selfishness and, I guess what it boils down to for me is that you know when I want to embrace a sense of selfishness, I'm not looking and I'm not encouraging others to be universally selfish. I'm just asking you to stop constantly putting everyone else's every need above your own. You know, we still want to approach life with compassion and empathy and kindness you know they they're manifestly important however we also need to be a little less selfless and we need to start prioritizing some of our own needs above others because if we don't I just don't feel like we're living our absolute best lives Absolutely not. And I think it often comes to a head at some point. In your experience, and of course the book you've written is is geared mainly towards women, do women and men in your experience create different ways to define happiness and I guess from that, that selfishness? I mean, I, it's very cliche, but, you know, often I think when, you know, babies come along, for example, the mother is tethered to the baby, for example, all the caring, but they often say that men's lives don't really change. They just go back to work, go get on their life, play golf on the weekends. You know, I think it's changed in terms of generations. You know, fathers are much more hands-on than they were when my father was raising our family. But do you think there's different ways in which we carve that out and therefore where the selfishness equation comes into it? Look, I do. And I I think, and it's absolutely no criticism against men. It's it's actually, in some respects, I'm critical of myself and of of other women because I think men are just better at prioritizing themselves I think that they're very good at boundaries and I think they're very good at having others help them manage their boundaries you know I I remember back you know a thousand years ago when I was working in corporate and I remember having a discussion with one of the executive assistants to one of the very sort of senior males in the organization and and I was having that conversation around how I you know 
was always asking for permission to to leave work early to see the kids or to pick the kids up or and I remember her pulling me aside one day and saying listen Kate just do it and and her sharing with me the fact that her boss always just did it and it was in his diary to leave work at lunchtime on a Friday and it was blocked out to say that he had meetings and that was his instruction to her and that was the way she had set it up and but he was leaving work to hang out with his kids every single Friday and he just had let others believe that he was going off to meetings every Friday and he didn't feel the need to ask for permission and he didn't feel the need to make excuses and he didn't feel the need to declare that that's where he was going he just did it and I remember just being really struck by that and thinking oh my god are you allowed to do that and and maybe you know I don't have to explain my behavior or my decisions or my choices so I think that you know all power to them I just think men are better at doing it than us yeah actually just taking control and prioritizing that sooner like you say with no excuses and I as I as I mentioned I think now it is a lot more even when it comes to those kinds of things and you know I work with a number of CEOs and they are very open about the fact is oh sorry I can't do that session this week because I'm going to my son's football game or you know I need to take the kids to ballet or whatever and they don't even try and pretend it's something else which I think is very empowering for the rest of us. I think it is too but isn't it interesting still that they're prioritizing others when they're leaving so they're not leaving to have a massage or to go for a walk on their own or to you know go climb a mountain or you know they're leaving to go watch their kids and so again it's this whole debate around you, you we yes it's important to prioritize our families and our kids and and our partners and our parents and and so forth but we also have to prioritize just ourselves as well absolutely that's going to lead me to my next question so the idea of that bucket list seems to be grounded as a later in life idea and of course your book is about the life list you've obviously experienced the loss of someone you had partnered with and so this perhaps was your tipping point how did that really, I guess, um, snowball this idea of the life list for you? Yeah, look, you know, the, the, it's very true. A bucket list is is primarily a list of things you want to do before you die. And and often it involves or it's, it's you know, primarily around adventure and travel. And the life list is the exact opposite of that. A life list is a list of everything that you want to do before, you know, whilst you're still young enough to enjoy it and love it and live it. And, you know, coming into COVID in 2020, you know, I think we went into lockdown around March and in April my ex-husband, the father of my three amazing children, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and within 11 months he'd passed away. And he was only 54 and it was every bit as brutal as you could possibly imagine because that's young right that's it's incredibly young yeah he was the most dynamic charismatic bigger than Ben her character and he I just never even contemplated that something like that would happen to him or happen to my kids or happen to us as a family and having to watch that decline and nursing my children through that process of watching their dad die and grieving their dad even before he was dead and it was incredibly challenging and difficult and awful in every sense of the word but it also 
you know, he left me a gift, you know, to, to really think about life very, very differently. And it's, it's so trite. And we say life's too short. And, and I'd always just said it in terms of, well, I'm going to eat a donut, you know, life's too short. You know? Yeah. But, but now it, it became, it took on such a, a greater significance. Life is too short. I turned 53 last week. I'm only a year off the age he was when he died and I don't want to put living off until later because later might be too late. So I am seizing every opportunity, every moment right now and I'm designing this incredible life that I get to lead and I'm helping others do it. And it's not selfish, it's not selfless, it's just smart. I, I want to live a beautiful, fantastic life and one that's filled with opportunity and growth and curiosity and, and huge gratitude because being faced with his loss at such a young age was a massive wake-up call for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's, and it's probably very, you know, it, it shouldn't take that for us to perhaps. It shouldn't do that sort of stuff but obviously your personal experience has propelled you to now want to share this with others time seems to be the great leveler when it comes to pursuing our passions and hobbies and chasing dreams I often hear people say I'm just too busy I can't do that I can only do what I can do Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in a different phase of life which I totally get the phase of life things my kids are now you know tweens and teens when they were babies there were definitely less hours in the day for myself Mm -hmm. how can we manage this better to ensure we still prioritize what matters but of course most of us still have to hold down a job and pay the bills and I think, gosh, if I could retire young, I'd be able to do all the wonderful things I'd love to do. Are there any tips that you have for people to kind of, if you like, triage Mm -hmm. their ultimate goals and not leave it till they're older or it's too late or, you know, that time of their life passes them by? Yeah, look, I, I really love that question. And I think that this book was a is a sort of a natural evolution for me, being a time management expert and having written extensively around time and how to get more time this was a sort of a beautiful then evolution to say well now you've got your time under control what are you actually going to do with your life and I I think the best piece of advice I could give to your audience is to stop being distracted by all of the white noise you know we are constantly bombarded with requests and opportunities and you know, we start the day on our phone, we're straight into our inbox and our messages, and we are constantly switched on, we're constantly accessible. And it's very, very challenging to manage your time in any possible way when that's the way you're living your life. So my advice would be to take a step back and just to, um, I guess, two things. Firstly, understand that you can't manage time. You know, we can't change it we can't buy more of it we can't slow it down we can't turn it back we all have exactly the same amount of time so I know I always hear that people but you know the CEO of Apple has exactly the same hours in the day as you do and look what he achieves you know there's always that kind of rhetoric and it it is it, it, it is rhetoric but we need to flip it around and start thinking about our time differently so the CEO of Apple thinks about his time as an investment not as something that needs to be managed so When you start thinking about your time as something that needs to be invested, it's an enormously precious, very limited resource. So like your money, you need to invest it for the greatest possible return. 
Um, yeah, that's you, a great way for us to think about it. Yeah. And and, and as I must admit, like it was a few years ago, I started a childhood hobby again. I mean, the world of hobby feels a bit outdated, but, you know, I do horse riding on a oh, Thursday, yeah. non-negotiable. And I love it because it's mindful and all those things, but it's also getting back to things that are not just functional. Like, I mean, I am an exerciser, but sometimes that feels quite functional. Like I'll go to the gym because it's, it's good efficient. for me. Yeah, yeah but it's exactly. not fun necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go um, for a jog because it's an efficient way to stay fit. But yeah, and, and I guess the amber that brings me to my second point around well, how do we find the time? We need to sit down and really focus and have a deep, deep reflection of what it is we most value. So the question is not what are your values. The question is what do you most value? And when, yeah, once absolutely. you understand what it is in your life that you most value and you have that laser-like precision on these are the three or four or five things in my life that I most value, then you can prioritise those and you can build your day, your week, your month, your year around those things. So for me, um, the things I most value are my kids and my family, so my, my, my three kids, my two sisters and my dad. Um, the second thing is my business and the third thing is my health and my well-being and, you know, from a physical and mental perspective. And, and that's it. So I build my life around my kids, my sisters, my dad, my business and my health and well-being. And yeah, when you're just powerful. focusing on what it is that is most value, valuable to you, I've got all the time in the world. Yeah, because you're, like, you're saying no to lots of no. things. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Everything else becomes a very, very simple no. And and yeah. you've done that in, in, instinctively or intuitively by saying, well, a non-negotiable for me is my horse riding on a Thursday because it's one of the things that you most value. You're always going to find time for that. Yes. No, that's true. And look, you just touched on something which has just sort of sparked another thought and it's that cliche about, you know, on your deathbed, you never wish you spent more hours at work. However, I do love my business as well. And I have, I think the best job in the world. I get to interview fabulous people like you on my podcast, for example. So I don't feel like that, but it's interesting. I know that that's what they often say. People don't think about that, but I, I guess that's if you're not living a life in alignment with your values, you might feel like that. If you're not doing a job you love or you don't feel like you're contributing to the planet, maybe that's more true than if, you know, I think you so. Were. Yeah. And, and yeah. then I think, well, that's really sad. And that's a, also a moment of reflection. What, why am I working in this vocation or in this job if it, I don't love what I'm doing, if I don't feel valued and if I don't feel like I'm adding value. So, you know, I'm, I'm 100% with you. You know, my, my business is, is my drug of choice. I love it. And I, you know, when I'm with my friends, that's what we talk about. And when I'm looking at opportunities that come my way, that's one of the first things I think about. Is this going to be good for my business? Is this going to give me pleasure? Is this going to give me an opportunity to write or create or talk about this content? And that's important to me. And so I, you know, maybe on my deathbed, I'm not, I, I, it's not one of the things I'll ponder because it's something that I value that I've chosen to, in, you know, raise up on, the, on my needs in terms of my priorities. It's, it's right up there. Absolutely. So what do everyday momentous events look like? Like obviously we can't be sailing down the Nile every day or having that a fabulous milestone party with our closest friends. How do you create those moments where you really feel like it makes your heart sing and lights mm. you up but in a much more 
everyday way so it's not just waiting you know I think of people who just like wait their whole life to go on the one big holiday and every other day they they're dreading their life you know that to Mm. me is not a life I'd want so how do you create those momentous events yeah so it's it's about understanding that firstly from a lifeless perspective it's not just adventure and and holiday experiences it's it cuts across your health and well-being across wealth you know you know your finances particularly as as women is something that we need to be very very carefully curating uh it cuts across the relationships you want to have uh, obviously travel and experiences are in there but also you know what are you grateful for what are you giving how are you contributing so there's a number of different elements across there it's not all just about climbing the mountain or you know that as you say the the sailing down the Nile in terms of then the everyday experiences my personal life list I've got things on there like I want to laugh every day you know I really want to have that moment where I just laugh my ass off at something that someone said I've got in there that I want to continue to be really curious that it's so important to me from my lifeless perspective that I want to experience growth I have friends who will you know say hey listen I've just read this really interesting article about you know someone sent me a link over the weekend to an article about Mary Magdalene and I'd never contemplated her and I went down this rabbit hole of of understanding her and her life and the gospel of Mary and I just love that I have that drive and that that curiosity to always want to experience growth and to always learn I've, I've got on my life list that I want to always express gratitude you know I've got myself into the habit of every night when I lie down in bed I, I express gratitude for the day and, and specific parts of my day that I'm grateful for I've got on there that I want to kiss kiss passionately, you know. So things don't have to cost us a lot of money or be um, a once in a lifetime experience to be momentous. We've got to we've got to recognise that there's also a lot of day to day stuff in there that is going to fill our cup and give us enormous joy. So does being selfish and making sure, say, your health and well being is the top of your list if that's your thing have a great advantage at times and what makes you believe this? I mean, I guess what I'm asking from the flip side is selflessness overrated in some ways. Um, I think the concept of universal selflessness is definitely overrated, as is, uh, you know, I would condemn the concept of universal selfishness. I I think that there's a balance. Um, I think that it's so important to prioritise your own needs because what I've discovered, and, and again, I'm, you know, I'm not going to win the Nobel Prize for this, I think lots of people have discovered this for themselves, is that when I do fill my cup and I do prioritise myself and I do carve out those moments in a day, be it 10 minutes or an hour, or if I've gone for like a four-day hike where I've carved out four days, I come back a better person. I have filled my own cup. I feel enormous joy and it's a settling feeling where I just feel a sense of real contentedness and that then makes me turn up as a better mum, as a better friend, as a better daughter, as a better sister, as a better coach. When I take the opportunities to fill my cup, I am a better person for that and that means that everyone around me is benefiting from the time that I've taken out to actually experience some joy for me. 
What's the best advice that you've ever been given and why? And it doesn't have to be business advice. It could be anything really. Um, look, I've got two. There's, there's one which is an, an old one from probably 10 plus years ago where one of my bosses um, who is a good friend and he was a terrific mentor to me, he his advice to me was if someone takes the time to give you some feedback, even if it's really hard for you to hear or even if you disagree with it, you should always thank them for the feedback because they've taken the time to try and help you grow in some way. And even if it's hard to hear, you should always be grateful for that because they didn't have to do that for you. The The second piece of advice was a piece of advice I was actually given yesterday and it was really magnificent. I had experienced a bit of hate about the life list. Someone had sent me an email, someone I don't and know. Not, like, so I was going to say someone obviously outside your circle of trust, I imagine. Well outside, thank goodness. But you know, very vitriolic and quite a personal attack in terms of a statement I make in the book is that I've, as a 53-year-old woman, I've kind of reached the stage where I don't care as much what other people think of me. And it's a good place to be because that helps me experience the opportunities I want to experience and perhaps not take on the judgment so much. And um, I received this email, which was basically along the lines of, well, I don't believe you that you don't feel that other people's opinion of you matters. And I don't believe that it wouldn't hurt you. But if that's the case, I just want to tell you how awful you look (laughs) for 53. And I'm 68 and I look so much better than you. And then it went on and on and on. Oh, my goodness. It's like a trolling kind of situation. It really was. And it was... And and it completely, I, I mean, her point was, I don't think that you're at the stage where you don't care what people think, which she then proved her point by me getting upset by the email. Which was the um, purpose of the email, Which obviously. was the purpose. But one of my friends, well, actually a woman who's an acquaintance, but I really want to be her friend now, she gave me the best advice. She said to me, you know, you need to sit with it and you need to ask yourself three questions. And and the first one was, well, you know, how did it make you feel? The second one was, well, why do, why did it make you feel like that? And the third one was, what are you going to do about it? And yeah. she said, and if you reflect on that really deeply, she said, then that experience now has a purpose. So rather than sitting there and thinking, oh, woe is me and how awful that I've been attacked, I can now look at that experience and say, well, there was a purpose behind that and I've grown. And I just loved that advice and I did it and I loved the exercise and I'm definitely going to be doing it every time something happens where I I need to reflect on why was I sent that lesson. Yeah, absolutely. So if we spoke again in a year's time, Kate, what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why that particular goal? I really feel very passionately about this concept of of women and and midlife women unashamedly recognising that it's now our turn. Many of us, if we are mums, our kids are at the stage of empty nesting or they're about to empty nest or that maybe they've already empty nested. And, and it's this beautiful period of time in our 50s and our 60s. It's transformational. We get to really redesign everything all over again. And I really want 
to achieve that goal of encouraging as many women as possible to seize this moment, to to recognise that this time in our life is not a crisis, it's a catalyst, and we get to design the next bit and it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing, Amber. Absolutely. Final message for us today as we wrap up on the politics of selfishness. Yeah, look, important not to be universally selfish, equally important not to be universally selfless. Go out and start designing and implementing your own life list because life really is too short and don't put it off till later because later might be too late. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure to have our conversation today. And if you do want to connect further with Kate, of course, there's some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.